I mean, the building, uh, the new addition, uh, everything that I see, it's so attractive. And, you know, we're, we're just glad to be here. Pastor Bob and April, we love like our own family. They are family to us. And it is good to be back in Covington, especially back here at First Assembly in Covington. And I've sensed the presence of God. Somebody say amen. Since the nearness of God, and that's what it's all about, the Lord's closeness, His nearness, and people, whether they're saved or unregenerate, unsaved, when they come in here, if they can uh, feel the love and acceptance that you have toward them, and maybe more importantly, uh, they can sense the presence of God and know that God is real in your midst, that's so vitally important, it's so imperative. Uh, So I know you will. I just encourage you to continue to facilitate the presence of God and support your leader and love one another and just love on guests as they come in and continue to see the kingdom of God grow right here in Covington, Indiana, U.S. of A. Amen. Will you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse, let's see, verse 18 here in just a moment. I don't know if I should share this or not, but I'm going to since I'm preaching and you're not. So several years now, several years ago now, Pastor Bob and I are sitting in district council. And the atmosphere is very intense. It's very serious for a number of reasons. First of all, because Pastor Don Gifford, our superintendent, had experienced some opposition that year. And it was time for re-election. So the atmosphere of the council was very serious. And furthermore, it was kind of terse and intense because there was a young man there about Bob and I's age from the North Texas District of the Assemblies of God that had stood up multiple times already in the council. And folks, look at me if you will. To be quite honest with you, he made a fool of himself. He had said some things that were inappropriate. He had stood up three or four times on the floor of the council and even said some things to Brother Gifford that I thought and most other people thought was inappropriate. He just, to be honest, he embarrassed himself. Uh, He embarrassed his family. And he made an already tense council even more tense. And then it came time uh, in the council to vote and to, to take nomination ballots for superintendent. Of course, my vote was for Don Gifford. I love uh, Brother Gifford. I trust that you do as well. So it wasn't even an issue to me. But, it, you know, so everybody's kind of tense. The atmosphere is very sober and somber. And right when it's time to cast the ballot uh, for nominating the superintendent, your pastor... Folks, let me ask you something. Have you ever been somewhere where it wasn't appropriate to burst out in laughter, but you did it anyway? I mean, have you ever been somewhere where it was not really appropriate to to lose control, and yet you just couldn't hold it back? Right when we're about to cast the nomination ballots, your pastor leans over to me in the council and says, I don't know about you, but I'm going to vote for that guy from the North Texas district. Now, listen, folks, have you ever got tickled at something that really wasn't that funny? I don't, I guess I was just tired and exhausted. I I guess I just wasn't expecting that. But when he said that, when he whispered that in my ear, y'all, for the next 45 minutes, uncontrolled, unrestrained laughter. I, I don't mean out loud, that would have been disruptive. But for the next 45 minutes, it was just, you know. I tried to suppress it. I tried to hold it in, but I couldn't. I got tickled, and missionaries sitting on the pews in front of us were turning around asking us, are we all right? (laughs) I I couldn't take him anywhere. It was like that. I I couldn't take him anywhere, and I just trust that over the years now, he's matured some, and he's a little bit more controllable now is what what I hope, so... Folks, seriously, I'm glad to be here. Uh, Whether you are ready or not, I'm just going to take my absolute liberty. Uh, You know, we were here for about seven years, and this is like home to us, and we love you guys. And uh, I I feel like God's put something on my heart to share with you, and I hope you're encouraged by it. But we're just going to take our liberty, and you're like family, uh, so we're going to have a good time today. Amen? Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning uh, in verse 18, says this. This is Pastor Bob's Bible, it's why it's messing me up. 
You know, I never go home, or I should, excuse me, I never leave home without the Bible that I read from. Uh, but the Bible that I preach from, I left in Alamo, Tennessee. And uh, so that's one strike against me all right, already. You know, I'm having to use somebody else's sword, so that's already going to throw me off. But will y'all bear with me? All right. Some of y'all trying to figure me out. It'll be all right. You, you, you can relax. We're, we're, it's, everything's okay. I'm, it's going to be good. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 reads like this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, Paul says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, in verse 26, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of a noble birth. But look carefully at verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to confound or put to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world, of this world, and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one may boast before Him. The King James says that no flesh should glory in His presence. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. It's a mouthful, isn't it? You know what I've learned, church, over the years is that God has went out of His way to contradict what man's opinion is of how things ought to be. God has went out of His way throughout history to contradict uh, the, the opinion of man in what He thinks it should be. God has always taken the least esteemed, the disrespected, the most despised, and placed His hand of blessing upon them, baffling the minds of those around them. Amen. I personally believe the Bible and church history confirms this principle outlined by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where he teaches us that God bypasses those that are mighty in their own eyes or estimation and he raises up and blesses those that are willing to be humble and broken and dependent upon the Holy Spirit. God has went out of His way to bypass those that are cursed with self-importance and He uses the one that is broken and base and dependent upon God. Somebody say Amen. I want to give you a couple of examples. You take, for example, the nation of Israel. The Bible teaches us that God took a nation of captive slaves, a lowly, despised group of people that were bound in chains, a people that others mocked at and ridiculed and rejected, and yet they're the very ones, church, that God raises up to defy the nation of, e uh, of Egypt Though they're a bunch of slaves down in Egypt and had been for 400 years, yet they're the ones that God chooses. He's, they're the ones God raises up and anoints and blesses to use to defy the ancient pharaohs and to overcome Egypt, uh, Egypt's armies. You know, folks, it's a fulfillment of Paul's principle in 1 Corinthians 1 where God takes the lowly, the base, and the despised things and uses them as a means to confound the wise and mighty. That is, those that are prideful and good in their own eyes. 
Folks, I'm not here to impress you. I just want to deliver this message. The message is stay broken and stay humble and stay dependent, stay prayerful, stay reliant upon God because God uses the humble. Folks, I want to tell you, the man out here that's self-made, the man out here that says, I don't need any help, the man out here that's filled with pride will be bypassed by the Lord in these last days. God is looking for the one that will humble themselves before the Lord and then the Bible says God will exalt him in due season. So stay humble, stay broken, stay hungry before God, stay dependent upon the Spirit of God, and you will be a candidate that God will use to defy the things of this world in these last days. Moses is another powerful example. He was born a slave. God took him as a Hebrew baby. He was appointed by Pharaoh to be thrown into the Nile River. The Bible says Moses was rejected by his own brothers. The Bible says that when Moses rose up and explained to the leaders of Israel that he was their deliverer, they rose up and said, Who made you a chief and ruler over us? Moses was born a slave. He was rejected by his brothers. He was rejected by his own countrymen. And yet Yet he's the one that God raises up and anoints and blesses and uses him in the prophetic office to lead an entire nation out of Egyptian oppression. If you would have looked at Moses tending sheep for his father-in-law in the backside of the desert, you would not have said, there comes the next deliverer for Israel. You would not have said that. And yet Moses is base. He's lonely. He smells like sheep dung. And yet he's the one that God calls, anoints, and equips. It's a direct fulfillment of the principle Paul introduces in 1 Corinthians 1 where God chooses the low, the base, and the humble to confound and defy those that are mighty in their own eyes. Amen. I'm tripping all over something up here. All right. You go down through history, and I just want to give you a few examples Uh, that fulfill this principle. If you go down through biblical history, we run into King David. Church, look at me. Did you know the Bible teaches us that David was not born from a royal family? Royal blood did not flow through David's veins. He was the youngest in his family. He was unnoticed by his father. Remember, church? He was despised and rejected by his brothers. He was unheard of at that time by his countrymen. And yet he's the one chosen and anointed of God. Did you know when Samuel the prophet came to Jesse's house, the Spirit of God had spoke to Samuel and said, Go to Jesse's house. I'm going to choose one of his sons to be the next king of Israel. When Samuel got there, he went through seven of Jesse's sons And even Samuel at the time was assuming that the tallest, darkest, and most handsome of Jesse's sons would be the next king. But the Bible says that the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, you know, God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He sees things differently than we do. Somebody say amen. The Bible says when he went through all seven of Jesse's sons, David had to be fetched From the backside of the desert, while tending his father's sheep, Samuel said, Jesse, do you not have any more sons? None of these sons you've shown me will be king. David had to be fetched from the backside, totally unnoticed by his family. His dad did not even consider him qualified to be the possible next king of Israel. And yet this little upstart named David is the one that God chooses. How many knows that some see a shepherd boy, but God may see a king? David is unnoticed by all of those around him. He's tending sheep for his father. And yet he's the one with oil dripping off of him, anointed by the prophet, destined to be king of the nation of Israel. God takes the lowly in the base. You know why David was qualified? Because while his brothers seem to be filled uh, with themselves, David is out there by himself in the open fields in communion and fellowship with God. David's out there singing praises to God by himself, tending sheep, and God was preparing his heart for greater things ahead, and that's what qualified him to be heir of Israel's throne. Amen. Folks, listen, if you're not sure what I'm trying to say, it's just this. Talk to the Lord in private. Continue your fellowship with the Holy Spirit when no one's looking. 
Listen, stay humble and stay broken and stay dependent upon God. How many knows God is watching us? What we do in private is more important than what we do in public. So continue to converse with the Lord. Continue to communicate with the Spirit of God. God's preparing us for greater things ahead. He's conditioning. He's preparing our heart for what's going to come. So stay dependent upon God and you will be a candidate for a greater usability here in these last days. Glory to God. Moving on. I have in my notes here how that when, when rain comes, water always finds the lowest point and rises from there. Amen? Water will always, out in an open field, find the lowest point and rise from there. It's the same way, church, in the kingdom of God. The Spirit of God always finds the lowest, the most humble, and He will bless him and raise him up and, and use him in ways that will blow the mind of those around them. Have you ever seen God raise up some nobody, some misfit, and anoint them and shock the fire out of those around him? Sure you do. Sure you have. Pastor Bob's one of them. Amen. He just he just a nobody. He just a misfit. Yet out of nowhere, you know, folks, who can explain these men and women of God that God raises up out of just nowhere? Who can explain the prophet Jeremiah? Have you have you read the book of Jeremiah lately? Who can explain such a man? Who can explain where did Daniel come from? Who can explain this man? Esther, who can explain such a woman of God? And yet God raises up these nobodies out of nowhere and He uses them in a mighty way. And we're going to tell you why here in just a moment. But I want you to consider Bethlehem. The prophet Micah said this about the birthplace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But though Bethlehem be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of... Bethlehem shall he come forth that is to be ruler in Israel. Church, did you know that Bethlehem was considered a very insignificant village outside of Jerusalem in Jesus' day? And yet, that's the village, that's the place where Jesus would be born. Now, if the king was going to be born, wouldn't you think it would have been in Jerusalem or some other major city of that day? And yet God chooses the lowly, insignificant village of Bethlehem for the king to be born. Isn't that just like God? Isn't that how God does things? And, and you know, remember, he was raised in Nazareth. And the first thing one of the disciples said when they heard that he come from Nazareth, they said, can any good thing come out of coming? I mean, Nazareth? And yet, as despised as Nazareth was in the day that Jesus lived, yet that's the place God chose to nurture the virgin-born Son of the living God. He's raised, of all places, in Nazareth. God chooses the lowly and the meek. God's not impressed with what man is impressed with. His ways are higher than ours. He sees things different. You know, folks, I've always said, I got a sneaky feeling at the judgment seat of Christ when rewards are given, God is going to show us how that He sees reward and faithfulness a lot different than perhaps we do in the church world. We have our great celebrities, and there's nothing wrong with people that are famous. Don't get me wrong. But I've got a feeling God sees things a little bit differently than we do. And when the rewards are distributed, it might surprise us if the veil was removed uh, of the people that are going to be rewarded handsomely at the judgment bar of God, and no one ever heard of them. Totally obscure men and women and children of God that were just faithful, that were not great in the eyes of the world or man, but certainly great in the eyes of God. The Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, Sanhedrin, leaders of Jerusalem in Jesus' day, all the mighty brilliant scholars of the law, the high priests, the scribes, the rabbis, all the leaders of Jerusalem... And yet, when Jesus decides to choose 12 men that would be the building blocks, the foundation of the future church, He bypasses all of those intelligent, educated men, and instead, He chooses fishermen. Come on, somebody. 
tax collectors, uneducated Galileans, untrained, unschooled, unsophisticated laypersons, vineyard farmers, unheard of, obscure men. He bypasses the Pharisees and Sadducees and instead he chooses fishermen whose hands and feet stink. He bypasses the intelligentsia of the day and he chooses vineyard dressers, lowly, uneducated, peasant Galileans as the tools or the building blocks he would build the kingdom of God on. Does this not blow the mind? God deliberately contradicts man's opinion of how things should be. Amen. World leaders a little bit later in the book of Acts had to admit that these lowly peasant Galileans have turned the world upside down. Amen. Stay lowly, friends. Stay humble. Stay dependent upon God. And you might be amazed at what God will do in you and through you in the days to come. Why does he do it? Bob, how much time do I have? Okay, I mean, I'm not going to go on and on forever. I don't want to mess anything up. Okay, thank you. That's what I'm looking for. Okay. Hey, folks, l- l- listen. Why does God do it this? Why does God raise up the, the low and the base to confound the mighty? Why does God raise up nobodies, people that recognize that they're nothing in and of themselves, the dependent, the reliant? Why does God do it this way? Are you still in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? I, I want you to look at verse... 29, he chooses, verse 28, the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. The King James says, so that no flesh could glory in his presence. God chooses the lowly and base so that by the time this thing is over with, God will have received the glory and not man. Why does God raise up the lowly in base? Because he, he does it so that when the miracle is performed, we won't sit around and brag on man and be impressed by what man does. We will stand around and say, isn't God faithful? He does it so that no flesh will glory in his presence. Amen. Folks, I'm telling you, God doesn't see how we see. God's not impressed with what man is impressed with. Folks, do you remember in Jesus' day, the disciples came in Matthew 24, and they said, Lord, look at how beautiful the temple, look at how extravagant, look how eloquent the temple is, how wonderful it is. Jesus kind of burst their bubble and said, there's going to come a time when not one stone will be left upon another. They were under the impression that Jesus would really be impressed with what they were impressed with. And Jesus said, boys, there's going to come a time when not one stone will be left upon another. Folks, God's not impressed with what man is impressed with. God's looking for those that are not tremendously gifted and talented, though there's nothing wrong with that. He wants to anoint our giftings and talents. But God is looking for those that are humble and base and are willing to depend totally upon the precious Spirit of God. Glory to God. I'm still not done. I'm not done. Somebody say amen. I've been studying the Azusa Street Revival for years now. Uh, Folks, I assume you know this, but the Azusa Street Revival that happened in 1906 uh, was the initiating event that sparked the movement that you and I are a part of today. Virtually every Pentecostal movement on the face of the earth had its origins in 1906 when that revival struck. And uh, I've been studying that revival for years. I've got a little bit of a fascination. There's a sense in which it's still going on. Why? Because whether it's here in Covington or whether it's a third world nation somewhere around the globe, as long as people are being saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and anointed and gifted of God, that revival in some sense is still going on to this very day. There have been tens of millions of people swept into the kingdom of God because of what started in 1906. But here's what fascinates me. Now, folks, don't drop this. Don't, don't miss this, okay? One thing that has always stuck out to me about that revival is the primary instrument that God used to spark probably the greatest revival in world history was a one-eyed, uneducated black man named William Seymour. 
God, when, when the greatest revival in human history occurred a little over a hundred years ago, God bypassed the scholars, the pastors, the brilliant theologians, and raised up as the leader there a one-eyed, half-blind, unnoticed, unheard of, uneducated African-American served the spark that started the fire. Isn't that just like God? God takes a nobody that others, especially in that day, despise. They said when he would Seymour attend Pentecostal meetings, he would have to sit outside because the Jim Crow laws of that day would not allow him to worship with all the white folks. And yet God's got a sense of humor, man. He's the very one that God uses to spark the greatest revival this side of heaven. History tells us that during the revival, William Seymour would only preach when led of the Spirit of God. All the rest of the time, he knelt down in a corner and kept his head in a wooden crate and prayed the whole time. Folks, I don't want to emulate that. I don't want us to try to emulate any of that. We've got to be ourselves. But there's a humility. There's a dependence. There's a brokenness there. There's a nothingness there that God will use and that we can learn something from. Y'all's either enjoying this or you're still not sure. (laughs) Do you remember, I promise I won't go on forever, but do you remember what Gideon's response was when the angel of the Lord showed up and said, Oh, thou mighty man of valor you! Gideon's response, the Bible says, immediately was, that that can't be because I'm from a very poor family. And furthermore, I'm the least in my father's house. Isn't that just like God? Israel needs a deliverer. I mean, they have been ran over and taken captive by the enemy at that time for years and years. And so when God chooses to raise up a deliverer, wouldn't you think it'd be a mighty general in the army or something? Instead, it's Gideon out here that don't even know his own strength. Folks, by the way, you're much stronger than you think you are. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. God dwells inside of you, even in spite of the weaknesses you may have. You're stronger and more usable to God than what you could ever imagine. But Gideon's response is a fulfillment of the principle Paul lays out in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, I'm least esteemed. I'm the least in my father's house. And God's like, I know, you're the one I'm looking for. Because Gideon, when the battle is over, I don't want them singing your praises. I want them singing mine. I'm going to say it again. Men, look at me. The man out here that's self-made and self-reliant, and he don't need anybody. He's macho. He don't need any... God, you're going to be bypassed every single time. The man out here that won't receive instruction and nobody can tell him what to do, and bless God, nobody can... That man's going to be bypassed of God every single time. We've been talking primarily about men. Folks, I've got to hurry. We've been talking about men. I want to give you a couple of examples of maybe a couple of ladies in the Bible. You know, we mentioned Esther a little bit earlier. Folks, did you know Esther, she was nothing but a slave in Persia. We, we look at Esther now. She's a beautiful woman. And she was promoted by the Lord to be queen over all the land of Persia. And she went down in history with great prominence. But when the Bible introduces Esther, Hadassah, she was nothing but a slave girl that had been brought from Jerusalem, from Judah, into the land of Persia as a slave. She was nothing. She's pretty good looking. But she was nothing. Hadassah, Esther, was a nobody. And yet when the time was right, she came into the kingdom for such a time as this. She was promoted of God and she was used instrumentally by the Lord to approach the king and to spare the lives of her people whom Haman intended to annihilate. Somebody say amen. But folks, the point is, is God raised up Esther, a humble 
handmaiden of God, a, a, a servant-minded young lady that just loved God and had learned to depend upon God, she, I guarantee you, Esther talked to God privately when no one else was looking. She learned to stay humble and dependent upon the Lord. And when the time was right, God raised her up. She became queen of Persia and she became instrumental in the deliverance of her people. Folks, listen, stay humble. Stay dependent upon God. You might be surprised at what God will do with you here in the next few to several years. Listen, you know how we are. You know how we are. We look at ourselves. I'm just, you know, I'm just a corn sore on the bottom of the big toe on the right foot of the body. We look at ourselves as so, but listen, I'm not talking about a poor self-esteem. When I stay, when I say humble, I'm talking about dependent upon God and not ourselves. When I say humble, I don't mean we look at ourselves as a no-account freak that can't do anything right and we're just worthless bums. That's all we are. We're just a bunch of worthless bums. That's not humility. That's just a poor self-esteem that needs deliverance, to be honest. When I, say, when I say humble or humility, I mean we've gotten to the place in our lives where we figured out God, I can't do this on my own. I depend upon you. I can't do this by myself. Absolute reliance upon you. Holy Spirit, fulfill in me everything you promised me in your word you would fulfill. That's the person God is looking for. Amen? And then there was Mary, the mother of Jesus. You know, she got pregnant and it wasn't by Joseph. We're all mature. This is the early crowd. Rumor spread all over town. Mary's impregnated. And rumor is that Joseph's not the father, which was absolutely true. She was supernaturally impregnated by the Spirit of God. I don't have to tell you that. But rumor spread everywhere that Mary is pregnant and Joseph's not the father. When Joseph found out, the Bible clearly says he was minded to put her away privately, meaning he was going to divorce her because he himself just at the time did not understand. He thought she had been become pregnant by another man. And all these rumors, all the vicious gossip that spreads everywhere about Mary. She's got a bad reputation. People are whispering every time she walks down the street. And yet, in spite of it all, Mary's the one that God chooses her womb to, to, uh, to birth the Son of the living God. Humility, the nothingness. God chooses someone that the world would never have chosen. If the world had been able, even the religious world, if they would have been able to choose who the mother of the Christ certainly would not have been Mary. I promise you that. And yet God chooses, He purposefully chooses the insignificant to defy what man believes to be significant. He's got a different set of values than we do, folks, I'm telling you. I always make a mistake when I anticipate a certain response from people. The best thing I can do is just preach and do my job and shut up and sit down. Did you know, Pastor Bob had said something about, I've been going to Central and South America. I just actually got back from London, England, and we've seen so many great things. I, I don't know, I may tell you a little bit about it, but, you know, communion. The ordinance of communion we go up here and we take those little glasses. Do y'all still do that, Bob, in the little glasses and, and the bread? And, you know, my thought on it is this. Even something as lowly, whoever come up with eating a little piece of bread and drinking juice from a cup, that God would use something that insignificant to communicate His love and presence to us. A little piece of bread and a little cup of juice is a, an avenue that God uses to communicate His presence and love to us. I mean, that blows my mind. I mean, who come up with that? The Holy Spirit did. But God takes that little, you know, but I was in Colombia. I was in Bogota, Colombia. And I was scheduled to preach. Our approach in foreign missions is three things. We go in and we do leadership conferences for all the pastors. And then we do one or two crusades, which is preaching to the lost, unchurched people in the city. And then when Sunday rolls around, the team and I break up and we'll preach in two or three, sometimes four churches apiece on Sunday. 
And it, Sunday rolled around, and I was scheduled to preach in a really nice church in Bogota, Colombia. And the presence of God is there. I mean, I'm weeping all the way through the service. Uh, it was just so powerful. And then it was time for communion. And they started passing the little elements, the ordinance around. And I took the cup, and I took the bread. My mind was on God. But folks, listen... I don't know if you know this or not, but down in South America, they still use real wine, liquor, wine. And the cups are a lot bigger. I'm, I kid you not. They pass those cups around. I took it. My mind was on God. I've got a bread. I've got a cup. And when it was time to partake of that cup, I drunk that thing. Have you ever done something and make, look and see if anybody was looking? I drunk that thing and it burned all the way down. <laughs> Folks, listen. I, I hate to say this, but I'm going to. Before I got saved, I've drunk wine before. It tasted more like whiskey than wine. I didn't know wine was that strong. It tasted more like Jack Daniels. I'm afraid to tell you that, but it's true. I didn't know wine tasted that strong. It burned all the way down. I'm sorry. I, I tried to keep my composure through it all and acted like nothing was happening. That whole day I was consciously aware that, that alcohol was, the, the smell, the scent of alcohol was on me. I was insecure the rest of the day. I know our salvation don't depend upon the... I know that. But when you hadn't took a drink of alcohol in 25 years and somebody throws some Jack Daniels on you, it's hard to overcome, all right? We left that place so blessed of God. The Spirit of God moved in such a powerful way. And I come away from that meeting, meeting thinking, God, you use something so lowly as bread and wine as a way to communicate your love and presence. It's a fulfillment of this principle. God takes the base and lowly, and He uses it to confound the mighty and wise. That is, those wise in their own eyes. Amen? Hey, folks, listen. Do you all remember in Mark chapter 11, don't turn there. Do you remember when Jesus had scheduled His time to enter into Jerusalem, most scholars and believers call it the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem where he rode on that donkey. Now listen closely. Did, did, did you ever notice that Mark chapter 11 says the donkey that Jesus chose to ride on into Jerusalem, no man had ever sat on it. If you remember that, say amen. And if you don't remember it, believe me, it's true. No man had ever sat on it before. Now, so I'm studying this and I'm trying to come up with a message and the Holy Spirit shows me, hey, wouldn't you think if Jesus was going to triumphantly enter into the city of Jerusalem and was going to ride on a beast, it would be a white stallion or it might at least be a trained animal? Uh, listen, I, I'm not a farmer. I wasn't raised up among horses and cattle, but... I'm not going to be the first one to jump on a mule that's never been rode before. No man had ever sat on it. Now, folks, I, I, I'm being silly, but I'm, please hear me. The risk in my mind of Jesus sitting on an unbroken mule and riding in Jerusalem, that risk was great. Why would Jesus do that? Why would He ride instead of a white stallion fit for a king, instead of being escorted by a chariot of some kind that He's worthy of, why did He choose a mule, a donkey, and furthermore, that one that no one had ever sat on before? It can only be, church, because He purposefully chose things that were base and rejected by man. He never tried to impress religious people. Never. He never tried to impress the crowd. Jesus deliberately chose that donkey as a way to communicate to the world He's looking for the lowly and the base and the humble. And folks, it hasn't changed. God's not impressed with our gifts and talents. God's not impressed with how good we look. God's looking for the heart that's humble and broken and open and someone who allowed the Holy Spirit 
to continue the work of grace. He's beginning us. We're to be confident in this very thing. He which hath begun a good work in us will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. But we've got to stay humble and broken and lowly. Amen? Praise God. We're going to pray in just a moment. We've been to Honduras and we've been to Nicaragua three or four times now. We've been to Colombia. We just got back from London, England. And this fall, we're going back to Nicaragua again and to Argentina a little bit later on this fall. And uh, Sean and I are pastoring uh, a church in Alamo, Tennessee, as Bob said recent or earlier. Uh, we're, we're just going to do both. And uh, the Lord's doing so many wonderful things. I... So many good things are happening. We, our, our focus is on unchurched people, lost people. But I have had such a blessing speaking to leaders around the world. We, we have, Pastor Bob, th- like three, four, five hundred pastors, youth pastors, worship leaders that attend these meetings. And, you know, I always thought, Lord, can I effectively preach when there's an interpreter? You know, I have to say a sentence and wait. But you know what? That's a blessing because that just gives me a few seconds to formulate the next thought. Come on, somebody. And I have had such a great time pouring into those leaders. We, we try to reach the lost too. And, and there were four to 500 pastors working with us in Nicaragua, ready to filter everyone that come to the altar in our crusades into a local church the best we could. Those of you that have ever dealt with outreaches, you know how hard that can be, but we do the best we can. I, I'm not going to exaggerate and say that even 20%, I have no idea, but those hundreds of pastors have agreed with us that they will do all the legwork and they'll try to filter them through local churches. But, you know, it's not just outreach for the lost, the privilege of speaking into those leaders and seeing them broken together with us as we pray together. And, you know, I'll preach prophetically. When I say prophetically, I just mean the Holy Spirit anointing us. And sometimes God will just give us a word of encouragement and to see God move among those leaders and them go back, hopefully, and and share that uh, and lead their own congregations into the same experience we had the meetings. It's just life-changing. I'm just so thankful to have this new chapter in our lives, in our ministry. It's meant so much to us. And I'll tell you something, folks. I'm going to do this the rest of our lives. Amen. My goal is actually, we were going to do it this year, but how many knows going on foreign mission trips don't pay the bills? <laughs> folks, they're not, they're not taking up big offerings for me when I go over there. Uh, you know, the money is out of our pocket. So my, my goal is, is probably by this time next year, I intended to do it this year, but by this time next year to continue to pastor, but to be gone once a month uh, into one of these trips and just to stay heavily involved in missions. Folks like you, I just love Jesus and I want to obey the Lord and see how God unfolds these things. And um, I just want to stay humble and broken before God and participate in the ministry of intercessory prayer and just do what God wants me to do. I'm just like you. I'm no different at all. But it's been very interesting in the last few years and we're just so excited about it. God's really moving. So, amen. We're going to pray together. In closing today, uh, bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to pray. Yeah, we might have a musician very quickly. I'm not going to belabor it at all. If you want to come, that's fine. We're seconds away from praying corporately together. But I want to tell you again as we close, stay broken, friend. Stay dependent not upon self, but upon God. Stay reliant on the Holy Spirit. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but listen, you can't do it on your own. You're not big enough in the sea of the britches to serve God. God never set it up to where He intended us to live the Christian life in our own strength. Somebody get that in your spirit. God never set this up to where we were to try to live for God in our own strength and grit and determination. That is not how God set this thing up. God set it up to where day by day we live in victory as we keep our eyes on Jesus and dear God, not self. Even your failures, even our weaknesses, even our sins, we're not to get preoccupied with that. We all fail and stumble. We all have weaknesses in our lives. We all have blind spots that the enemy tries to take advantage of. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off your failures. Keep them on Jesus and depend sweetly upon Him. And God will continue to bless you and use you and promote you for His glory. 
I've been praying, God, how dare I try to go around the world and not be broken before you. Thousands upon thousands of people in South America that I preach to, they don't need my knowledge. They don't need a good sermon from me. They need to hear a message from a man that's been touched by God and that's totally broken from his own ability and strength. Absolutely reliant upon the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for your grace, your forgiveness. Lord, fill us with the Holy Spirit afresh and anew and burden our hearts, O God. Sweetly broken is my prayer here this morning, Father, very quickly. Thank you for those of like precious faith here today. I pray, I trust, Lord, that you've stirred our hearts. You've reminded us of who we are. Father, there are people here this morning that have gifts and callings that have lied dormant for a while. I pray that you would stir that up here this morning. People that have allowed their giftings possibly to subside a little bit too long. Lord, stir that up this morning. It's not by might, it's not by power. Father, it's by your Spirit. And Father, we depend upon you. We trust you. Father, we thank you. Father, thank you again for my dear friend, Pastor Bob and Miss April, this leadership team, this church. Father, what potential, what anointing, what spiritual authority that resides in this place. We believe you for maximum impact. Anoint us. God, you've anointed us. We pray for an increased measure of the glory of God in our personal lives. Lead us in the way everlasting, O God. Father, crush self-dependence. May we depend upon you and be base and lowly and humble. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Father, thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, love, I love you so much. Thank you for listening. And uh, I, just, I just trust the Lord has blessed us. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Bob. Stay prayerful. God bless you today. Pastor Bob, come. What an encouraging word, amen? I needed to hear that. Uh, I need to... You know, in our, in our church culture today, um, there's a lot of people that are looking for some kind of an easy path to fame, some kind of an easy path to fame and fortune. Got a lot of young ministers that, that come in that think that they're going to be a rock star of some sorts, and it's not what this thing's about. The people I'm most comfortable following are the ones that say, I should not be here. <laughs> I, sh- I shouldn't. I'm just, I'm just pursuing Christ, and I, I just want to serve Him. That attitude of humility is so vitally important. And uh, in, in, in the exact words were, I can't remember the guy's name. So I just wrote down that guy from the North Texas District. <laughs> his entire head was red it was bright red and I sit next to him and we would be like (laughs) and we would get it under control and then he'd go (laughs) and then I would start again really appreciated the word this morning because really we're we're all coming from nowhere and so grateful that God sees fit to use us we want to take up an offering this morning just to Bless Pastor Mark and the family and again to sow into the ministry that God's called them to. You know, when they came here, uh, when we interviewed with Pastor Mark and Shauna for this position here, um, what, 12, probably 12 years ago now, something like that, they 
came in and we sat down up there in the conference room and, and uh, talked through some things and asked a lot of questions. And, and uh, he made this statement. He said, long term, he said, uh, I don't know when. He said, I don't know how, but I, I know at some point um, we're going to be doing missions work. Told us that in that interview that day. And, uh, you know, he said, I, of course, probably a little bit afraid to like sitting here with the board thinking, oh no, guy's not going to stick with us. He said, I'm not saying it's immediately. I'm just saying that that's something the Lord has put in our hearts that one day we'll probably doing, be doing some missions work. And I think even told me later in the office, probably South America is where you feel most led to go. And I laughed. I'm like, speak Spanish. So I'm excited for them because... I know, I know that that's what God laid on their hearts a long time ago. And, you know, just like sowing seed into the ground and waiting for a harvest, they finally beginning to see those doors open and that opportunity to do it. So I could hear the fulfillment in your voice just talking about it. And we're so excited for you. And we want to sow into them. When he, he had sent out a letter to us just letting us know monthly support would be a, a help to them. And I said, man, we could, we could give you more this year. If you just came and, and uh, we did a service and we could bless you, um, it's going to add up to more than just monthly support what we can do. So give liberally this morning. Uh, bless them. And I know that they are doing the work of the ministry and they are being effective. So, Father, we thank you for Pastor Mark, for Sean and these beautiful kids, God. They are a part of our family. We love them and appreciate them so much. Lord, greater than this, this gift, this monetary gift, is the anointing that we ask would remain on them god giftings prophetic utterances lord that would speak forth out of their mouths god lord suppress the enemy we we just ask you to protect them protect their family protect travels god and any attack of the enemy that would come against them lord that it would be thwarted by a shield of faith that they're able to put up lord we just ask you today that you would cover them surround them and use them for your glory, for your kingdom. Even bless that church there in Alamo, Lord, where they're ministering. Those folks, God, are being blessed by their leadership as well, and we pray blessing over them. But God, we thank you for your hand upon their life and and for this time we've had together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for giving. Uh, After you give to to them and uh, give to the Lord, we're, we're done, folks. Make sure you shake their hands and hug their necks uh, before you go to breakfast or Sunday school, whatever you're going to do next. But but our kids are headed up to Michigan City after the second service. Keep them in prayer over the next day or so as they go up for their retreat. And uh, pray blessing and protection over them as well. Thank you for being here. God bless you. You are dismissed.